Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from their front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 34 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. Do you know that this is our first birthday? Really? This is going out on September the 2nd, which is exactly to the day... 12 months since we ever did our first podcast. Yay, happy birthday to us. I know, we need a cake. (laughs) We need a cake, that's what we do. Any excuse for a cake, right? I don't need an excuse for a cake. Oh, that's true, actually. Mm. But can we have candles? You can have a candle. Oh, yeah, because I'm one. We're one. The podcast is one. (laughs) That is so cool. Listen, we can only thank all of our listeners, all of our regular contributors, people that are messaging us constantly and everything else. We really do appreciate it. We couldn't have done any of this without you guys. You've been absolutely fantastic. And we just never expected it to get like this, did we? No, I just wanted to do a podcast because I never did it before and I wanted to see what it would be like. And then you get a hold of it and away we go. What do you mean I get a hold of it and away we go? Well, you're the one that's been the driving force behind the whole thing. I'm just along for the ride. Ah, that's so cool. Or is it? Actually, that means you can blame it on me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We have a really interesting guest with us today, do we not? Yes, we do. Our guest is Ruth Roper Wilde. Now, she's a partially retired civil servant living in Bedfordshire in the UK with her husband and two dogs. And much of her career was actually as an investigator. She used to investigate fraud and theft, and then later on, bullying, harassment and discrimination claims. So she has a really analytical mind and is used to investigations. She has had a lifelong fascination with the supernatural and the paranormal and the unexplained due to something that happened to her when she was a child. Oh, right. Okay. So two years ago, she had the opportunity to take partial retirement and she decided to go for it and is now doing the investigation and writing books and everything as well. You're going to find this absolutely fascinating. Please welcome to the show, Ruth Roper Wild. Okay, hi Ruth, how are you doing? Hi, very well, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you very much. We were quite interested about the book that you wrote, The Ghosts of Marston Vale. Yeah, that was the first book I wrote. It was really a trial book, if you like, to see how writing books went because it was my first ever book so I decided to write about the ghosts immediately around me because I thought that might be the easiest thing to research with it all being local Mm. and what I really wanted to sort of concentrate on was what ghosts and myths are there around here and is anybody still seeing them do they you know do they still happen it just it really interests me to know whether or not hauntings go on for a long period or are they something that just one individual happens to see? So that was really the take that I took on that book. And I did it by actually putting a message out on the village Facebook page and on notices up in the village shops. So does anybody want to talk to me about their ghosts? Well, which got me some rather strange looks, I have to admit. But... <laughs> And some rather strange questions in the queues for the shops and things. But then, yes, quite a few people came forward with their stories. And then what I started doing was matching what they'd seen or heard against some of the myths and legends there are from around here. And surprisingly, one person actually told me that they'd been told that there's a square mile within the village that's the most haunted square mile in Bedfordshire. So that was quite interesting. Really? (laughs) Yes. They were able to tell me that there'd been an exorcism done some years ago in one of the houses there so that was something I'd never ever heard of before 
locally. So it became really fascinating with the amount of information that was coming out and people that were coming forward with information and, and stories and, and, you know, their own experiences. I noticed on your Facebook page that you sometimes will go to places to see if you can find anything or if you, you know, if anything strange were to happen to you. Did you go visit that place? The Square Mile. Yeah, it's actually where I'm sitting talking to you now. It's the other side of the field behind my house. So it's actually an area that I walk with my dogs quite often. And I have had an experience within that Square Mile myself interestingly which was long before I started writing the book but it does appear in the book Marston Vale goes to Marston Vale there's a graveyard within that square mile and I was walking through there one day with my two dogs and one of the dogs was a collie cross rescue dog and he started giving a warning growl and he was quite a protective dog and he had different sounds he would make for different things he was warning me about so if he saw another dog it was one sound yeah if he saw a cat or something he wasn't sure about it was another sound and if he saw a person he didn't like it was a very distinctive sound he gave and he'd given the warning sign that he saw a person and because it was dusk at the time it was february and about five-ish in the afternoon so it was sort of you know getting dark i thought oh he can see somebody lurking about that i can't see and started to feel quite uncomfortable because I couldn't see anybody right so I sort of assumed you know dangerous person around and stood still and scanned all the bushes around and like who's lurking and I couldn't see anybody and I couldn't see what was bothering him so I, I took a few steps forward and they both came with me but he was absolutely fixated and then the other dog started growling and I thought well okay <laughs> now I'm really quite nervous so I started watching the dogs to, to try and pinpoint where they were bothered and it, it became apparent it was a particular gravestone they were bothered by wow well that's peculiar i've walked through this graveyard literally hundreds of times why is that bothering them so then it occurred to me well perhaps there's a hedgehog or something stupid behind it or perhaps there is a man crouching behind it or something mm. so i walked up to the gravestone and round it there was absolutely nothing but the dogs were fixated on the gravestone so when i read the gravestone the date of the person's death was the date that I was standing in front of it. Oh, wow. And I, it just made me think, okay, I'm completely creeped out now <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> so, unless, so unless your dogs can read, which I assume they can, <laughs> then obviously they were just reacting to something happening there. And I know that we mentioned in the bio that you come from an investigation background, so you're naturally sceptical. I would assume. Naturally. And, and I will always think to look for, OK, so what's another explanation for what's happening here? You know, is this a trick of the light? Is this something else? Can I poke or prod whatever it is that's bothering me to see what happens? So I naturally tend to go into investigative mode when anything happens. I think that partly comes from my mum as well as my background of, you know, my actual career. When I was very much younger we lived in a house that had a lot of poltergeist activity in it and I remember one particular evening being stood in the kitchen with my mum and we were clearing up the tea time dishes it was broad daylight still and the radio was playing very ordinary domestic scene when one of the used butter knives that was laying on the kitchen worktop started slowly spinning in a circle <laughs> so we both stopped what we were doing and sort of looked at it in astonishment and as we watched, it, it's still spinning. It moved to the edge of the worktop and flew across the kitchen, still spinning. 
and eventually fell and hit the floor. Wow. And my mum, being the completely pathetic woman she was, calmly reached into the kitchen drawer, got out a tape measure and measured the edge of the kitchen work surface to where the knife had landed and remarked, hmm, eight and a half feet. Well, that wasn't gravity then, was it? Wow. So, so she, she wasn't phased or shocked by it at all then? No, she she would never be, you know, frightened or sort of spooked out by. She just accepted that there are things in this world that we can't yet explain. Did she have things happen to her maybe in her childhood that maybe um, would account for that kind of behaviour or attitude? Definitely. She came from a very poor farming background. Her father was a farm labourer, so they lived in a tithe cottage, you know, tithe to the farm. Mm. And the cottage itself was extremely old. Uh, It's long since been demolished, so I've never seen it. It was long before my lifetime that it was demolished. And almost every evening, they would have the latch on the the cottage door would jiggle itself and open. Somebody coming home then. (laughs) Somebody coming home, yeah. yeah. Footsteps would cross the flagstone floor and one of the chairs would creak and rock back as if somebody had sat down. Mm. And then a moment later, the footsteps would go back across the flagstone store back out through the door wow. and she was she said it was so normal that it it sort of happened so frequently they'd unconsciously stand out of the way of the door because they knew it was going to open in a minute <laughs> um, at certain times so I think you know she just learned to, to sort of take it with a complete pinch of salt that these things these things are there they're not going to bother you was that house that she was living in then that you're talking about the same as the butter knife incident no, not even in the same counties. Wow. So did she bring something with her maybe to... I don't think so. I genuinely don't think so. I think different places just have their own <laughs> phenomena that happen and whether, you know, whatever your personal belief system happens to be, whether you believe that's a spirit attached to the house or an elemental attached to the house or whether you believe it's the individuals that are living in the house have their own energy they're giving off or whether you believe in the stone tape theory. I actually think that there is phenomena happening almost everywhere, almost all the time, and some people notice it more often than others. Because one of the things I've really, really noticed with this lifelong fascination with ghosts, and particularly since I've started writing the books, is one of the first questions people almost always ask me is, so do you believe in ghosts then? And my answer is always, well, for me, it's not a matter of belief or not belief. I know that phenomena is happening because I've seen it. What I don't know is what the explanation for that is. And I still to this day remain completely open-minded about could it be the spirits of the dead? Could it be some sort of, you know, mind inference from the person experiencing the phenomena? Could it be the stone tape theory? All sorts of various explanations And because of my own investigative background and knowing that, you know, different witnesses will see the same thing, but experience it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. When you add into that the element of, well, actually, they're they're experiencing something supernatural insofar as it's not part of your normal daily run of experiences. I think that adds an extra element of they're going to experience an even more unusual way to each other. So they're going to start to plot because they haven't got anything to explain it. They're going to subconsciously supply their own belief system to it. Yeah. So I always think, you know, if you put two people next to each other and something happens in front of them, one might think it's the spirit of a deceased person, you know, and it's a ghost. The other might think they're seeing an angel or a demon because they've got a different belief system. 
Yeah. But nevertheless, both of them saw something. <laughs> so. so while you were writing your books, obviously you did a lot of research and wrote about them in your book. But do you have a story that's maybe one of your favorites that isn't in a book that you can talk about if you want? Or you can mention something in a book. I just figured we'd want to make people uh, go find the books. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorites that will be in the book I'm currently writing, so yet to be published, but people will be able to read it. It's actually a village fairly close to here. It's about maybe 10 miles from where I am. And there is a already published account of a farmer who was working beside a hedge on the edge of a lane by his own field. When he heard the sound of a horse galloping towards him, which made him sort of look up and think, what's that? And the, the sound of the galloping horse crashed through the hedge right next to him and carried on down the lane. But there was nothing to be seen. No horse. <laughs> no, no actual horse. Wow. So I asked the villagers of that village, you know, maybe had any encounters down this particular lane. And five people have come forward who don't know each other, have never heard the original story, but all of whom have either seen or heard a ghostly horse. And that that just absolutely fascinates me, that clearly there is something around there that people are perceiving. Each of their accounts is slightly different. So one couple were out walking with their dogs and they were intending to do a circular route back round to the village across the fields. Broad daylight, middle of the day. And as they walked down a particular hedgerow, intending to get to the end of the hedge, cross through the hedge and into the field and across the field, they could hear a horse stamping and snorting the other side of the hedge who appeared to be reacting to their dogs. So they were chatting away and saying, "Mm, I'm not sure we ought to go in that field because it sounds like the horse is quite angry about the dogs. So when they got to the end of the hedgerow where they were going to step into the field, they peered round the hedge, wondering if perhaps the horse was the other side of a fence or something, and it would be safe to go across with the dogs or not. And to their astonishment, there was no horse in the field. The field was completely empty. Why? And yet they had walked all the way along this hedgerow with a horse stamping and snorting and their dogs reacting to the sound of it. And they had just assumed the whole way that it was a real life breathing horse the other side of the fence. Another person whose house was on the high street stepped out of their house to put the milk bottles out about midnight one night and heard the sound of a horse clip-clopping down the road and thought, that's blooming odd, why on earth is somebody out riding a horse at this time of night? Yeah. So lingered a moment to to watch to see what it was and the sound clip-clopped down past him and clip-clopped past his house and on down the lane, the high street lane, but nothing in sight. Hmm. And another person went out to put her own horses back away in a field one evening, and down the bottom of the field she could see a glowing orangey-coloured light. I thought, what earth's that? And there was the, the glowing outline of a horse stood at the bottom of her field wow so that's different then so that's rather than just hearing something now you've actually got visual some kind of visual evidence absolutely and then yet another account came in of some people driving home to the village late one night in a car chatting away there was four of them in the car and all of a sudden ahead of them in the road a horse leapt out of the hedge and across the lane and leapt through the other hedge except they knew it wasn't a real horse because it was only the outline 
that they could see. Only the outline. Only oh, the uh, outline of the horse in the car's headlight. It's funny because we were chatting to two guests on our last podcast, the one that we just did, and one of them, Andrew, in his account, he was talking about an encounter that he had with a young lady. Actually, that sounds wrong. I should I should re- rephrase that. <laughs> yes, before we give people the wrong idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> There was a young lady and himself that went to a hotel that was derelict. And while they were there, they had an encounter with some entities. And the young lady he was with said later on that the entities looked like they were solid people. They didn't look like ghosts. They looked like people. She felt that she could lean over and touch them if she if she so desired. So it's interesting now that, you know, we've got that one account from Andrew last week who said that apparently these entities looked solid. And now you're saying that this horse was, from the account that you just mentioned, that the horse was more or less an outline. And so do you think that maybe, because some of the research that you're doing is on myths or or legends, if you like, that that happened a while ago, if, if I'm wrong, correct me, but you're looking to see now whether they are still happening, these hauntings. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, this, I mean, this current book is, is less about, it's not so much on myths, although there are some myths in there, but it's about haunted roads, essentially. Hmm. So I found an account of a road that's supposed to be haunted or has a myth attached to it of some sort of supernatural happening. Hmm. And then I'm going out and trying to find if there's any witnesses who have seen it in recent times or within their lifetime or know somebody who did, perhaps a family member or whatever. Yeah. What interests me about that is, are these phenomena one-offs that one person sees? Mm. Or is there something actually there that anybody can go along and see if they happen to be, you know, the right conditions, the right time, whatever? Certainly I'm getting a, a real sense of, in some places, this phenomena is going on and on and on over decades sometimes. I've, I've got some accounts where it might only happen very infrequently and you, you'd be lucky if you saw it. But nevertheless, that same phenomena is happening. You know, I've got some accounts going back to the 1950s and then somebody in the 1970s might have seen it and then somebody in the 1980s might and so on. So it, it shows that there's a real time link, that there is something going on in that particular location. Do you think that they may degrade over time? So could that horse have been a slightly less solid entity if you like because of the time lapse between it if it is the stone tape theory and and again correct me if i'm wrong on this that's where the environment would kind of collect a memory is that is that correct that's right yeah so there's a theory that certain types of either quartz or land formation or or rock or building can collect like a tape would a recording of either high types of energy like if somebody was murdered there or died a a violent death or something or even was just in some kind of high emotional state at the point they died that something about that electrical disturbance somehow imprints itself into an element of the landscape and then given the right conditions replays over years to come and you're quite right there is a theory that that does play down over time you know it gradually fades out some of the accounts I've got tend to suggest that that might well be the case. Others suggest that, well, actually, I'm really not sure what's happening. There's just lots of different strange things happening in one particular area. 
which tend to not go with the stone tape theory. You know, it could be that it's winding down over time. Do you think that maybe there are places that they say are maybe on ley lines or in certain areas whereby maybe there's some environmental factor, if you like, that may be recharging these events, recharging these recordings? Do you think that that's maybe a possibility? Or I wouldn't be surprised if that was a possibility. I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? The whole transference of energy and matter. I'm no physicist and I don't pretend to be, but my understanding is you can't destroy electricity. You can't destroy energy. It, it has to transmute into some other form. So we're made up partly of energy, aren't we? We know there's electrical synapses within our brains happen. So when we die or a plant dies or a human dies, an animal dies, where is that energy charge going? It must transmute into something else. Ever since I was young, that's kind of, I remember being in like, I don't know, sixth grade. So that'd be like 12 or something for people in the States. And we were talking about energy and how, it can't be created or destroyed. And I, and ever since then, that's been my theory. Like, well, if when we die, something has to happen. It has to go somewhere. Yes. So that was sort of how I really started to believe that there was something somewhere. And I think when you widen that thought a bit and think about the fact that, you know, we know that certain types of quartz hold energy. You know, we know that certain combinations of chemicals will hold energy, hence we make batteries and so on. It must all interlink somehow. Yeah. In years to come, centuries to come, at some point they will start to be able to explain some of this phenomena. And I suspect, especially with the research I'm doing, that actually there will be more than one answer. And I think I think there's more than one thing going on. Yeah. So... You know, I think it'll get explained piecemeal as as the years go by. And I think, to me, it's about adding to that data because eventually somebody that's a lot cleverer than I will put it all together, the, the kind of data that, you know, people like myself, like yourselves, are collating together and, and putting down on record. Somebody will be able to use that and and finally fit the final piece of that jigsaw in. And, and find an answer for that particular point. And I really suspect that when the time comes, there will be slightly different answers because I think there's more than one phenomena going on. So I'll give you an example of why I think that. And I've just taken a, a witness interview last, last week or week before, I can't remember now. I was looking for the ghost of a monk who is supposed to cross a road by a certain bridge in a, a certain village. Whenever I ask the villagers for their account, I never give what it is I'm actually looking for. Because one of the first rules of interviewing a witness is don't put in their heads what you expect them to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you say to somebody, oh, you know, there was a burglary next door. Did you see the man in the blue coat that, you know, went into the garden or whatever? They're straight away, they're always going to remember that he had a blue coat, whether he did or didn't, because you put it in their in yeah. their head. So I always say, you know, along this stretch of road or, you know, by this particular thing, has anybody had any experiences of the haunting along there? And that way I get back all sorts of information and not necessarily to do with the one I was actually looking for. In this case, this particular road where this ghostly monk is supposed to be, I've had quite a few people come back who know of the tale of the monk, 
who were told about it when they were young. Their grandmothers told them about it. They heard about it. They went down there when they were kids looking for it. I've had quite a few people come back with various misty shapes seen and what have you down there. But I've had one person come back who down that particular bit of road, when they'd only just moved to the village and knew nothing about the supposed haunting of this bit of road, were on their way to um, a bonfire night party. So it would have been obviously November. It was around seven or eight o'clock in the evening, so it would have been pitch dark. This particular lane has high hedges on either side, banks with hedges on. So you can't cross the lane, as it were, because there's nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, in their, the headlights of their car, a figure stepped out of the hedgerow on one side and started to cross the road. And they described it as being as about eight foot tall, completely naked and hairless, but humanoid, except with really long arms, really long legs. It was so distinct in front of them. You know, it was a completely solid looking figure that the husband who was driving hit the brakes on the car, which started to make, you know, heavy braking noises. That attracted the attention of whatever it was crossing the road in front of them, who slowly turned its head and looked at the car and then turned its head back and carried on crossing the road and passed through the hedgeway on the other side, out of sight. Wow. So it's like a lot of times things know that you're there. That Yeah. yeah. Now, that's clearly not a ghost of a monk, is it? No. That description doesn't come anywhere close to a ghost of a monk. You know, that is much more some sort of description, maybe something a, a alien or a demon or, you know, whatever you want to put onto it. But she said it, it was about 10 years ago, but it still keeps her out thinking about it because of the slow way it turned its head and looked deliberately at them mm. and then slowly turned its head back forward and carried on loping across the road. And to this day, she, she can't think of any explanation as to what it was they saw. It's funny because that reminds me, and, and I haven't thought about this for years, but that reminds me of something that happened to me driving down a road once. I was working at the time for an IT company, and I had a call out in the middle of the night because there was a problem with a particular system at this company. So I drove from my house down a main road, quite a busy main road during the day, but we're talking this is probably, you know, almost one o'clock in the morning, I guess. So it, it was almost deserted, this main road. But I was passing a church and graveyard and on my left-hand side, and I saw this woman, and now this was November, December. I remember it being bitterly cold. And there was a woman walking down the road in the same direction as I was driving. So she had her back to me as I was approaching her, obviously. But she was wearing something you would assume a, a girl in her early 20s would wear to a nightclub or something. It was a very, very short dress, almost nothing on her top, you know. I mean, the, the kind of stuff that kids are happy to wear out these days that, that I wouldn't let mine out in. It, although it was about one o'clock in the morning, you could think, okay, well, maybe she was you know, on her way back from a nightclub or whatever, but she was heading towards them, if anything, and was probably a good three or four miles from the town centre where the nightclubs are. So it seemed out of place. But then I noticed she didn't have any feet. There was no shoes. There was nothing beneath her sort of mid-shin area. And then she turned left and walked into the church, into the graveyard area. That's How weird. very odd. And it's... it's <laughs> 
obviously kind of got my uh, adrenaline going on the drive. And I've forgotten about that almost until you just mentioned that because the last time I drove past that church, I thought about that situation. And it's you just said then that that woman kind of gets that feeling when she drives past, yeah. past that location again. You see, and the interesting thing in that for me is, had you not happened to notice the anomaly of her feet not being there, you would have carried on driving and thought to yourself, gosh, that girl's out a bit late yeah. and isn't very well dressed for the weather. I hope she's okay. Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily have pegged it into your mind as something inexplicable. Yeah. And you'd never have thought of it again. And that begs to me the question of how many of, of us in ordinary populace, in ordinary daytime, do actually see something, but because we don't register the odd detail, because we're too busy or we don't notice whatever, that actually we're not noticing that there's more around us than we realise, if you know what I mean. Because so many of the counts I come across are during broad daylight. And that always begs the thought of me, well, that, so therefore, if there was a busy shopping street and an entity, a ghost, whatever you want to call it, walked down it, would actually most people not notice because they were just too busy and there was lots of other people and they just thought it was another person. So unless it did something particularly unusual that, you know, like you, it caught your eye that something was odd, <laughs> she ended below the shin, they aren't registering that something is, is happening when in actual fact it's happening more often than we think. Well, they've done those tests, haven't they? There's some of them on YouTube where it asks you to count the amount of people that are walking past a certain point. So you sit there and count it. And then at the end, it says something like, you know, did you notice the pink elephant? And unbeknown to you, there was a pink elephant that walked across the screen from left to right. But you totally missed it because you were concentrating on counting the amount of people. And that absolutely highlights how strange the human brain is when it comes to dealing with phenomena and memory and how unless something strikes you as odd, you might not even notice that you're witnessing a phenomena sometimes. I mean, it, it reminds me of one thing I did see myself, and that started out as a completely ordinary sighting, if you like, that I wouldn't have thought twice about. We used to own a, a white Land Rover Discovery that was left-hand drive, and our driveway has a brick wall on the left-hand side of the driveway. So when you parked the Land Rover on it the driver's side was up against the wall because of this it being left-hand drive yeah and this particular day I'd gone out with an armful of something or other can't remember now that I was taking with me and I'd sidled up between the Land Rover and the brick wall and I was trying to flick the handle open without dropping what was in my arms when a cat startled out from underneath the Land Rover and shot between my legs and I was startled by it and took a step backwards almost into the wall as it sort of then ran between that gap between my legs I'd just created by stepping half backward yeah. and we don't own a cat so as it ran down the gap between the Land Rover and the wall towards the road I followed it with my head you know I turned my head to follow it thinking oh no don't get run over cat but as it ran it kind of morphed from a perfectly ordinary solid cat just into smoke that just disappeared no way <laughs> so it just it became it, it was like something off the matrix there's something eerie about cats anyway well, there is something eerie about cats as well <laughs> <a> dog owner. <laughs> 
but it was just you know if I hadn't happened to turn my eyes and look my head and look I would just have thought oh a cat's under the car because we all know cats like sitting under cars yeah. it's something they do isn't it yeah. you know they do that quite often and I genuinely wouldn't have thought anything of it if I hadn't the thought hadn't struck me oh don't get run over cat don't run into the road so I turned my head to watch to oh no it's going to run into the road sort of thing and that's when I saw it do its weird morphing into smoke into nothing thing Wow! and that was in broad daylight and you, you just stand there and think well I just don't know what to make of that. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? If you're walking through the town centre, through a busy town centre, and you're brushing shoulders with people as you're sort of pushing your way through Sainsbury's or whatever, how many of those people are actually there? It does make you wonder. And there is a ghost story for Bedford Town Centre that's based exactly on that premise. And that's the story of Black Tom, who is a supposedly a highwayman who was hung for his dirty deeds back in the 1700s i think 16 1700s something like that and ever since then it said his ghost walks down midland road in bedford and you know if you notice him his head is lolling slightly to one side where he was hung and he's in shabby clothes but he's supposed to walk during daylight and people only sometimes notice him thinking he's a drunk Mm -hmm you know, staggering down the street or, you know, and don't realise that they're seeing a ghost. That's supposed to be what happens with him. Unfortunately, I haven't found anybody who's actually seen him, but that's the legend. Yeah, it's quite interesting to me how the legend there of that chap is that he is almost for eternity walking with a broken neck, if you like, whereas a lot of people when they, especially when they see a loved one, they're seeing their loved one how they were when they were well possibly before their sickness that that ended up killing them or whatever and so it begs the question in my head are we in some way picking up on an energy let's say and I I don't want to get all new agey every time you say an energy it sounds all new agey but are we picking up on an energy and then interpreting it ourselves? there's a theory that telepathy if it exists can be done irrespective of what language someone speaks so in other words if if i can have telepathic communications with someone from china for instance i can't speak chinese but the idea is that the telepathic communication doesn't require a translation because it's emotional feelings that you are transmitting if you like via telepathy and then that's received the other end and it's understood because you're understanding those emotions or those thoughts rather than the language so is it a similar sort of situation maybe that we are picking up on an energy and the interpretation of that energy goes on in our own head well this is where I come back to thinking actually there's more than one explanation and actually there's more than one phenomena going on because I think it's entirely possible that you've got the, if you like, Black Tom ghosts of the world, which are an energy. I mean, that he doesn't fit into stone tape theory because clearly and logically he can never have walked down that road after being hung. Yeah. So therefore that never happened. So therefore that can't have imprinted itself. By the same token, all those people in the modern day shopping street who might or might not witness him it can't be coming out of their minds because they never knew black tom and never thought anything or you know don't know the story so that's one type of phenomena but then 
you know when when you see a loved one and you know there are a lot of lot of accounts of seeing loved ones looking well now or you know even looking younger than they were than they yeah. when they died and you know what have you is that coming from the person's mind is it the energy of their loved one that's there and they're interpreting it in a way that makes them feel good that they're seeing them that way because the person you know that energy is giving off a good feeling that's entirely possible as well but i think that's a separate phenomena to the type of black tom haunting and separate again to my lady with her eight foot tall entity and this is what makes me think actually there's more than one thing going on out there certainly in in ghosts of marston vale in that book because i was just concentrating on one area and just asking has anybody had anything weird happen around here i mean one of the accounts in that is two chaps sitting on the hillside and they're actually out shooting so they were sitting very quiet waiting to start shooting and they saw falling through the air on the other side of the valley a shape that fell from a great height down to the ground but the best they could do to describe it to me was if you've ever watched the film i think it's predator where the alien kept shimmering so you could see the background through it yeah they said that's the best they could do to describe it is that whatever the shape was you couldn't make the shape itself out you could just see it distorting the background behind it as it fell almost like the heat rising off a hot road after the very similar except what it was was clearly a shape tumbling and falling yes but that shimmering can see through it sense of something camouflaged or cloaked now that doesn't fit into ghost or spiritual energy or something from their minds you know it it fits into there's a whole nother category again yeah so, yes, this is very much why I think, actually, there's more than one phenomena. It's amazing to me that universities, et cetera, et cetera, don't manage to get funding for this kind of research because it's something that's going to affect us all one day. I absolutely agree. I think they should. Because I think one day when they start to tie it all together, it will have a fundamental correlation and, and interweaving with our understanding today of how chemistry and electricity and and everything else all links together and you know when you get down to particle physics or string theory or you know any of the other physical theories of the universe i think it'll all start to fit together that it's not supernatural it's part of the world as it is it's just we don't yet understand it very much like if if you transported back to 1700 and showed somebody an ipad they would be absolutely certain that you were you know either an agent of the devil or an agent of god because you had something so amazing in your hand whereas today of course an ipad you know we all understand yeah especially our kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially that yeah You've mentioned your book, The Ghost of Marston Vale. you also got another one, The Almanac of British Ghosts. Did you cover any Welsh ghosts by any chance in that? I did. Funnily enough, whenever I do the research, Wales is quite quiet on the ghost front when people speak to me so far. It's very, very rich in its history of myths and legends, incredibly rich but not so much in ghosts. But I did have Goodrich Castle. That's just on the Welsh border, isn't it? That's actually about four or five miles from where we're sitting right now. Yes. So so there is an account about Goodrich Castle. 
in Almanac of British Ghosts because the Almanac of British Ghosts is about ghosts who supposedly only haunt on one day of the year. Well, I say that, it's got Anne Boleyn in there and she haunts on several days of the year up and down the country. She's a very, very busy lady in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the point behind Almanac of British Ghosts is it's, it's laid out like a calendar almost. So it's laid out, you know, January, February, March, April, so on. And, you know, so you can look it up and think, oh, well, today is, you know, August the 23rd. Where can I go to see a ghost? I've tried to pick up every story of cyclical or anniversary hauntings as they're known and again then I try to apply the same theory of right well there's the the story now let's see what the historical reference behind that is if we can and let's see if anybody's seen it recently it sounds like that book has got to be a must for these ghost investigators that are going out doing their research and, and investigations on some of these places to have a diary available to show them sort of you know where they're more likely to find some on a given day well, that was very much, you know, my sort of theory when I wrote it, that it would be interesting to know where you could go on any given day if you wanted, you know, to go and look for ghosts. So where are we today? August the 23rd, aren't we? So where can we go today? So we haven't got one today, but tomorrow, August 24th, you could pop along to, I don't know how you pronounce this, actually, B-Law in Norfolk, B-E-L-A-U-G-H. So I apologise to the people of that village if I've pronounced it wrong. <laughs> and that's supposed to have the ghost every August the 24th of the ghost of Lady Alice can be seen down by the water's edge calling for her Viking lover Olaf now I suspect and it's you know I've said in the in the book and in my research that actually that isn't a true story really yeah because there's there's a particular author Charles Sampson wrote a book in the oh, I think it was the 1950s or the 1960s I forget but it's called Ghosts of Norfolk Broads but it's the stories he wrote have entered into almost every website or, you know, anything on the supernatural that you read will will requote his stories. But he's the source version. And I can't get any of them to go back further than him. It leads to the conclusion that actually he probably made most of them up. He put that in the heads of the people there. Yeah, he wrote a book and he said that this is what was happening then. And, and it's entered into, you know, the urban mythology that it's a true haunting, as it were. Some of his, have, you know, I've picked up elsewhere, but they were sort of ones old, but most of his haven't. But that was the point of writing Almanac was to, to pick up on, OK, which of these are just fanciful, you know, because we know there was a date associated to it and which are still something happening. And there's quite a few where it's a cyclical haunting uh, or an anniversary haunting, if you prefer that term. And people are still sensing something there today. But rarely did I ever find that was restricted to the anniversary. Usually, if I found there was still activity today, it was actually any time of the year. So it's probably more likely that just that the place is haunted rather than that date. In the case that you just mentioned, where that chap actually, you think that maybe the story originated from him, do you think, therefore, that if that ghost actually didn't exist, but people are seeing things there that maybe they are creating it there's a theory called a tulpa do you know anything about tulpa uh, thought forms yes creating thought yeah forms. yeah so yeah. do you think that yeah. someone has essentially it's been believed so much because that guy wrote it that something has actually now been created and therefore now resides in that place at that time quite possibly there is and i can't quite remember the details off the top of my head because there's supposed to have been one of those in london a tulpa formed 
and it was a some chap wrote a ghost story and it was a story he didn't pretend otherwise about a ghost somewhere along the banks of the Thames and he, he gave a background to it and you know gave a haunting to it but somehow that entered into urban mythology that it was actually a true story of a haunting and then people started to come forward who were seeing something there it's like the whole slender man thing yes and and, th- and there was quite a strong theory that by accident that had created a tulpa that so many people believed that there was this ghost in london that actually that energy did form into some kind of phenomena happened there so again that that goes back to the whole Uh, Is there more than one explanation for all of this? And going back again to the energy transference that we were talking about, if so many people are thinking the same thing, are they transferring those thought energies into something that then materialises? Quite possibly. We are running a little bit low on time now. So can you just, before we go any further, you mentioned that you had a new book that you were researching. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yep, the new book has actually got a title now. Hooray! Hey. <laughs> um, it's going to be called The the Roadmap of British Ghosts, to, to be the sort of pair to the almanac of British Ghosts. Okay. And it's based on ghosts that haunt our roads, so as it says on the title. So I've literally picked out already recorded stories, you know, already documented stories of ghosts on roads. And then what I've done is I've gone out to those villages or areas and asked for people who have seen something there. And the information I'm getting back is just phenomenal. There's, so there's going to be some amazing new accounts that have not been documented before. Really? Backing up, you know, some of those original accounts. So, you know, I gave you the example of the one with the horse at Risley. But, I mean, there's another village in Hertfordshire. I went looking for a particular ghost for them, you know, along their road. But they've come up with eight more. Eight ghosts <laughs> along that bit of road. You know, so that so that all the accounts that people are giving me will be included in the book so that, you know, you will be able to say, OK, it'll be set out county by county. So you'll be able to look up your county and then look to see which road is haunted and is currently haunted. So there are current up to date accounts of what people have seen along there, which we should give ghost investigators or anybody interested plenty of opportunities to go out and document and and try that place for themselves which should help with the whole data research exactly if they can then get some evidence on the back of what you know what you've written about you know go to this place you might see that and then they pick up on evidence from it then that's fantastic isn't it we're all we're all after the same ends but at the same time because it's you know these are witness accounts that i've i've given in the book hopefully even if you're not a ghost investigator or ghost hunter and you're just interested in reading about ghosts, it should be quite an entertaining read in its own right as well. Yeah, you you might have one on your doorstep that you haven't known about. That you, that you didn't know about, yes. I will tell you, I will warn you now, since writing this or researching for this book, it's, it's partly written now, I've actually become a lot more nervous about driving alone at night. <laughs> <laughs> because the number of accounts, recent accounts, I mean, I, I have people coming back to me saying, I'm really glad you've asked this. I just saw this three weeks ago and it's really worrying me, you know, and I don't know what, I can't explain it. So these aren't dusty old tales of knights on horses and ghosts in castles clanking chains. These are on roads near you last week. Wow. <laughs> it will make you nervous. <laughs> have, have you got a release date for the book yet? No, I haven't got an actual release date, but I would hope to have it out maybe by Christmas, if not just into the start of next year. 
Well, will you do us a favour and, and when you've got that date, will you come back on and let us know where and when we can get it? I would be absolutely delighted to come back on and uh, tell you all about that one because I, I think people are going to really enjoy that one because there are some incredibly spooky accounts in that. Yeah, I think that's definitely one for us. I think we'll be mm. getting that. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that will be called The Roadmap of British Ghosts. It'll be out on Amazon. You can get all my books on Amazon. So if you just Google my full name, which is Ruth Roper Wild, and the wild is spelled W-Y-L-D-E, you can pick up my books from there. And it'll be, like I say, it should be coming out towards the end of the year with a bit of luck. And if you want to share your Twitter feed or, or whatever, then please go ahead as well. Yeah, again, it's just, you know, on the Twitter, just put in the, the for the search engine, just put in Ruth Roper Wild and it'll come up. But if anybody's got stories of what they've seen out on the roads and want to get in touch with me, my email address is wa-1400 at outlook.com. And I would love to hear everybody's tales about the ghosts they've seen out on our roads and so on. Excellent. Well, you can have my one if you want about that girl walking into the church. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, if you can give me the location, which road it was, you know, yeah, email yeah, me sure. afterwards, I'll put that in the book. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> because it might spark somebody else to come forward and say, actually... Mm. I was driving past that cemetery and saw that girl. Do you know what? That would be really earlier, interesting, yeah. actually, because yeah, I, I haven't um, I, I haven't spoken to anyone else who's had th- that same sort of experience. So, and I've moved away from that area now, so I wouldn't. So, yeah, that would be really interesting. And that, to me, is the fascination. Who else has seen it? And you know, how many years apart were the sightings? Yeah. All right. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed talking to you. You've given us some fantastic foods for thought, actually, about some of the uh, some of the theories and and ideas that we've spoken about today it's been great guys really enjoyed talking to you all right well thank you very much thank you and uh, as i say please keep in touch and let us know when that book's out and we'll definitely have you back on to talk about it certainly will all right thank you bye thank Thank you. you well it was pretty cool it'd be worth it to get the book and just sort of say you want to go on a trip but you don't really know where you want to go or whatever just go okay page whatever open it up and that's where you're gonna we go we might see a ghost there today yeah i really do believe that it is a must for those investigators out there who want to maximize their chances of actually experiencing something these might be part of your toolkit really do appreciate all you guys listening to our show today we've got another exciting guest coming up next week who encountered bigfoot awesome i i don't know that i would ever want to encounter bigfoot personally but Bryce's feet are big enough, aren't they? Yeah, no doubt. I wonder if Bigfoot's anything like, um, what was it? What was that show, Harry and the Hendersons? That was so cool. Yes, it was. Actually, I would like to meet a Bigfoot if it's like him. What, like Bryce? No, numbskull. What's his face? Um, Harry and the Hendersons. Harry and the Hendersons, yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Although we don't have enough room to hide him in our house, so he'd oh, be screwed. It. Yeah, he'd be under the <laughs> stairs or something. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for listening. As I said, please do follow us on Instagram. We are Weird Wacky Wonderful Podcast. On Twitter, we are at the WWW Podcast. We are in the process, actually, I lie. Bella is in the process of actually doing our website at the minute, so there will be some more information to come on that. But I'm sure you'll butt your face in there, so if it's shit, it's your fault, not mine. Yeah, okay. Mm. Thanks again, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Where are we going to go today? I don't know where the ghost's at.